As chapter 17 concerned the kings in Israel, so chapter 18 concerns the priests and the prophets with a condemnation of false guidance for the future. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting at verse 1. The priests, the Levites, and all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his inheritance. Therefore shall they have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he hath said unto them. And this shall be the priest's due from the people, from them that offer a sacrifice, whether it be ox or sheep. And they shall give unto the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the maw. The firstfruits also of thy corn and of thy wine and of thine oil, and the first of the fleece of thy sheep shalt thou give him. For the Lord thy God hath chosen him out of all thy tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. And if a Levite come from any of thy gates out of all Israel, where he sojourned, and come with all the desire of his mind unto the place which the Lord shall choose, then he shall minister in the name of the Lord his God, as all his brethren the Levites do, which stand there before the Lord. They shall have like portions to eat, beside that which cometh of the sale of his patrimony. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God, for these nations which thou shalt possess, hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee so to do. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. According to all that thou desiredst of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet 
shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. Thus far the reading of the word of Almighty God, inspired by his spirit and profitable for us, Deuteronomy 18. Verses 1 through 8, we have rules concerning the Levites in their ministrations and their maintenance. Notice there, verse 1, they shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire. The Levites had a few cities, very few in Israel. They were dispersed in the gates of Israel. They would live on the lands of others, and they would have these cities of refuge where the Levites would dwell specifically with some suburbs outside for cattle and things like that, but they did not have large-scale lands by which they could maintain their own lives as the rest of Israel. It says in verse 2 that God was their inheritance. And this is what it means to be holy. This is what it means to be a kingdom of priests, that the Lord is our inheritance. Listen to this that the psalmist says, Psalm 16, verses 5 and 6. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. You see that? David considered God to be the portion of his inheritance. Did he have lands from his father? Of course. But that didn't really matter to him. The thing that mattered is that God was his inheritance. He was a king and a priest, so to speak, in a figurative way. He says, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. How is that? Because God is an eternal inheritance that never fadeth away, reserved in heaven for us. As Peter says, let us remember our holy calling. As the Levites of old, we are called to be a holy people. We are called to set our treasures in heaven, that God is our shield and exceeding great reward, as Abraham was promised. Let us have that mindset as well. Now concerning the Levites' pay, one thing he refers to in verse 3 is the maw, which is the belly of the cow or the sheep. And on a cow, this would be what we call a flank steak. It would have lots of marbling of fat and so forth in it. And then verse 4, the first fruits also of thy corn and of thy wine and of thine oil and the first of the fleece of thy sheep. This word first fruits means the beginning part the chief part, or the first fruits. In other words, you have your crops, you bring them all in, you have the best of the best, that's what you give to the Levite. You don't say, well, I'll bring in all my crops, I'll use it all up and all these various things that I have, and then whatever I have left over, I'll give some of that to the Levite. No. He says, before anything else, the first claim is God's, then everything else goes for your use. And so the Lord requires an offering that counts or that costs us something, in other words. Notice verse 8, it refers to the sale of his patrimony. This is a Levite who has come from one of the gates of Israel where they were dispersed abroad. He's come to the city where God put his name because he wants to minister there and he's allowed to do so. He's given some pay from the sacrifices themselves, but then it refers to his patrimony. As I mentioned, they did have some small lands that they would own. They had the suburbs around those lands for growing crops and raising cattle. 
And if any of that produced anything, he wasn't at the place where it was produced. He could sell it and he could have the money brought to him in, say, Jerusalem or wherever the, t- the tabernacle or temple was at the time. That is his patrimony passed down from his father. In other words, he could sell those things or the tithes that the people would give to him for his specific place. That tithe could be sold and brought to him as his inheritance. Notice then verses 9 through 14, we have the false prophets of the heathens with their false future. Men and women, boys and girls, worry about the future, don't they? What will be in the future? What will happen? The, the people of the Gentiles, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? Have you ever worried about the future? Well, there are heathen ways to deal with the future. And God says that the heathen way of dealing with the future is called an abomination. It's a thing that he hates. Thou shalt not learn to do after the abomination of those nations, verse 9 tells us. The knowledge of the future is never to be in imitation of the heathen. We are not to accommodate to the prevailing cultural norms, as we say. We are to hold fast to Scripture. Here are some ways they dealt with the future. They caused their children to pass through the fire. That's how they dealt with the future. Did you know that was future-oriented? They wanted good crops. They wanted their houses to be blessed. And in order to cause the gods to bless their houses, they put their firstborn son in the foundation stones of their house for the future. Because they're worried about the future. They're concerned. They're anxious about blessings on the house and their crops. Did you know that when Carthage was burned, this is the reason the Romans burned it? Now, the Romans were heathens. They were godless, but they at least knew you don't kill your children. You don't murder your infants. And in Carthage, there were all kinds of murderous acts done to their infants. And so what did the Romans do? They burned Carthage with fire as a judgment from Almighty God. And then they salted the earth so that no one could plant anything there again because of the vile and disgusting rites of the Carthaginians. Verse 10 says that we should have none among us that useth divination. In other words, in Hebrew, this is a foreteller of foretellings. I'll let you know what your future holds. The little cookie they give you in the Chinese restaurant, fortune cookie, tell your future. Or the palm reader who says, oh, I can tell you the future. Let me see your palm. I will tell you the future. Or the prognosticator who says, oh, a storm is coming. Run for shelter. Or, oh, if you don't get your shots and take your meds, everything's going to be horrible. Your future will be destroyed. In fact, this is the word which pharmakos in the Septuagint, one who administers drugs or poisons to control the future. Pharmakos. Enchanters are those that learn by experience, who observe signs, who practice fortune-telling via omens. Look at the clouds. Oh, I can tell from the clouds that thus and such will happen in your future. Let's look at the entrails of the animal, and I will divine to you what will happen in your future. 
There are all kinds of ways by which people who are anxious about the future say, yes, tell me something. I need some knowledge. I need some information. Observe the times. These are those who observe the clouds, as I mentioned. Oh, well, look at these clouds. This is what's coming in your future. The horoscope you read in the newspaper. Same idea. Let me give you an insight into the future to relieve your anxiety. Let me give you some drugs to relieve your anxiety. Pharmacos, witchcraft. God says none of it. This is how heathens, this is how they deal with the future. What is the way we deal with the future? Well, we'll find out momentarily. Then you have those that consult with a familiar spirit, literally one who is wise with respect to these spirits. They have secret knowledge of the unseen world that they will reveal to you for a small price. Then the necromancer, one who is necros, as we looked at in Ephesians 2, is dead. Dead in your trespasses and sins is necrus. Necros and Manser is to divine. One who receives divine wisdom from dead people. Does that sound familiar? No, no, nobody does that anymore, right? Hail Mary, full of grace, they say. Ave Maria, the dead woman, speak to us. Hear us when we call to you. Necromancy, speaking to dead people. Did you know Saul used a necromancer? Did he speak to a demon? No, he spoke to a saint, didn't he? Oh, hear me, Samuel. Tell me about the future. I'm anxious. I'm worried. Show me something true, divine for me. Show me the way. Oh, great St. Peter, St. Joseph. Necromancy. Speaking to those saints departed from this earth as Saul sought to receive direction and guidance and success from Samuel. Listen to this from the prophet Isaiah. And when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead, to the law and to the testimony? If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Let us then not seek our relief from anxiety from creatures, from pharmacos, from human wisdom to alleviate our concerns from those who learn from experience. Do you know what we call that? Science. Trust the science, they say. Science, thy God will direct thee for the future. Now get the shot and shut up and wear the mask. This is science, your God or the false god of the heathens. Fear, anxiety, trouble of minds concerning this or that which is yet to come to pass in our lives, what should that drive us to? Pharmacos, diviners, the entrails, looking into the clouds, reading the palm, reading your horoscope, trusting the science. No. Trust God's prophet. Trust to the living God not to men and creatures. And it is because of these abominations, God says, that I drive out the heathen from before you. In other words, God held the Canaanites responsible not to do these things. What does that tell us? 
that these are mere Jewish laws given to the people of Israel as a church under age? Of course not. It tells us that God holds all men everywhere at all times responsible to these laws. You must not seek relief from anxiety by the wisdom of men, which brings us then to the true prophet, verses 15 through 22. If I can't know the future, if I can't relieve my anxiety by creatures, to whom should I go? Verse 15 tells us, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 3.22 in Peter's sermon after he heals a lame man. And Stephen before the Sanhedrin in Acts 7 verse 37. They both cite this passage and say, this is about Christ. This is Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one who holds the future. He's the one who says to us, what? Do not concern yourselves about tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Wait, not Anthony Fauci? Not the pharmacy? Not the fortune teller? Not the palm reader? Not the scientist? Right! Not the doctor? Not the nurse? Right! Put your future into the hands of Christ, the prophet. He will be like unto me, Moses says. That is, he'll be of the seed of Abraham. He will be a redeemer as Moses was, a mediator as Moses was, a faithful man in all of the house of God as Moses was, and yet a son over the house, and a teacher of the people, a lawgiver from on high. And note verse 18, the faithfulness of Christ. He shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Did you know Jesus used this as an argument for his Messiahship, you might say, that he was the Christ. How could you know? John 8, 28, he tells them. John 12, 49, and John 15, 15. Everything God gives me to speak, I speak it. Everything the Father commands me to say, I say, he said. He is that faithful prophet. And if they would not listen, he says, I will require it of the man who does not listen. This means, this requiring means to carefully seek after something, to inquire into a matter, so as to find out the utmost part and truth of the case and then punish those who have not done what they should. Acts 3.23, the Apostle Peter says, Whoever will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. I note then that Christ is the true prophet, the head of all prophets, the greatest of all. There is no other great prophet, whether Mohammed, whether Joseph Smith, whether Anthony Fauci. There is no other great teacher of the church at all or to the people of God in general. Let us hear the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear him in the voice of the prophets of old who spake by his spirit. Hear him in the gospels where he speaks directly to us. Hear him in the epistles where he speaks through his chosen vessels. Hear him in the apocalypse where he speaks as the final word of God. Hear, I say, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what will he do to your anxiety concerning the future? He'll slay it. It'll be done. You'll be finished with it. You will not have to worry yourselves. But the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the solution 
The heathen solutions do us, do us no good. And then notice the test of a prophet in verse 21 and 22. You wonder, how do I know? In the meantime, before this great prophet comes, how do we know a true versus a false prophet? Well, in this case, he says, if the thing follow not. Now, we saw in chapter 13, there's a doctrinal test. Does he lead you away from the truth that's been revealed already to another God, in other words, another lawgiver, another judge? That's one test. But here, a prophet would not merely preach doctrines. He would not merely preach duties. He would also predict future things. He would say things yet to come. And there is then a twofold prophecy, a predictive prophecy and a moral or doctrinal prophecy. The former is perpetual, meaning, excuse me, the latter is perpetual, that which is doctrinal and moral. It goes on forever. It always happens. In that sense, I am a prophet, not in the predictive sense, oh, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen tomorrow or in five years. No, that's done. That was occasional. And they could test it to see, is this man a true prophet? Well, what did he say would occur? What was his prediction concerning the future? If he lied, he was to be put to death. It was very serious, and it is very serious, because you're saying, I have a new and different word from the word of God. And that's why it was punished so severely. Thus far, the explanation of the word of Almighty God from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18.